Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. I am Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. Mully and Haw live on 670 The Score. Of course, your place for all Cubs baseball. We're on the air from 5.30 until 10, Monday through Friday. You can catch me 5 to 5.30 by myself. little warm-up act, if you will. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy Crawley. Crawley, how are you on this fine Monday, election eve? Well, I'm doing better than the Nick Castellanos fan club right now. Um, you know, really important. Don't forget to subscribe, download and review to the fly the W podcast. That way you get the episodes as they come out and don't forget to follow us on all our socials, fly the W six seventy on Twitter and Instagram and fly the W on Facebook and Dustin Saturday night marked the end of the 2022 baseball season. Yeah, it didn't exactly go the way at least I was hoping and then you were hoping, but uh, it it is over. The uh, Astros are winners, uh, won it in six games. And uh, let's uh, let's walk everybody through the uh, Valdez-Wheeler matchup. Yeah, great pitchers duel between Framber Valdez and Sack Wheeler um, until the sixth inning when who would have thought it? Kyle Schwarber once again hits a 2-2 sinker on the inside corner into the right field stands for his third home run of the World Series and six of the postseason to make it one nothing Phillies. And Dustin, at that moment, I, Crowley, I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh, if this if this holds up and this is what forces a seventh game, this guy is the king. And 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 you called MVP earlier uh, before the season started, and that's the first thing I thought of when I was watching that. I'm like, if this goes to a seven, Schwarber's got to be in the conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he had a, he ended up with eleven total bases. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't last long. In the bottom of the sixth, the wheels come off, pun intended. Um, (laughs) Martin Maldonado, who I think they said had like a broken hand and a herniated uh, sports hernia and everything. We just found all this out. Batting 207, he gets hit by a pitch. So that starts out the inning. Altuve grounds into a force out. Maldonado out at second. But now you got the speedy Altuve at first instead of the slow plotting Maldonado. Jeremy Pena, what a series that kid had. Singles, he's got runners at the corner, one out. 
Jose Alvarado comes into the game. Now you remember Jose Alvarado game four, he ended up doing awful. He comes in and against Jordan Alvarez, say what you will. The guy's only in 192 in the postseason, but he crushed a three run Homer 450 feet over the batter's eye to make it three to one Astros. Houston would tack on one more run in the inning on a Christian Valdez single to make it four to one. But get this, all three of Jordan Alvarez's home runs this postseason came while the Astros were trailing in the sixth inning or later and put them ahead. Probably was in the MVP conversation as well because of that stack, Crowley. Absolutely outrageous. Top of the eighth, two out, Dustin, a one-two count. You and I both love Kyle Schwarber, think he's a great guy, smart baseball guy. But he tries to bunt on a one and two count in the eighth after he just hit a home run in the sixth. What I gotta was going think on there? Was, I got to think that was ordered up. I mean, why in the world would he try that? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure this out here because that was about the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, <laughs> I understand. I, I'm not completely a hundred percent anti bunt, but literally in that situation, I. I you follow you're you follow that off like exactly like he did and you're out. Right. And it's four to one. It's not like it's a one run game. It's four right. to one at this point. Right. It, it made it literally made no sense. I, I don't know what he was thinking. And then the top of the ninth, Ryan Presley, uh, he does give up a single, but Nick Castellanos, who just had an awful, awful season, it just felt right that he flied out to right field and the Houston Astros win the World Series. Talking about now you said you said po, you mean postseason. Castellanos had a brutal postseason. I think his season in general was a disappointment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he was. I would say that he wasn't well received in Philadelphia. He started out really slow. He did okay, um, but but just in general, just did not have the kind of season he was looking for. And uh, the postseason was just beyond brutal. He hit just one ninety-seven in sixteen postseason games without a home run. And was three for 20 in the World Series with just one RBI. And, you know, you can put this on Philly's manager. I mean, he, he wouldn't move him. You know, he's right behind right. Bryce Harper. So Bryce has no protection. Zero. Zero protection. Yep. So, you know, you, you can sit there and, and, and second guess things. But it just, I don't know. You know, you know, credit to Houston's pitching staff. And when I, when I picked the Astros in five, you know, it was based on the pitching. That's really what I, I just... You know, what do they say? Pitching Trump's hitting most of the time. And and Houston, I mean, between Verlander, I mean, he wasn't that great. But Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, you have a bullpen full of power arms. Their staff, Houston staff, posted a 229 ERA in the postseason. They held the Phillies to a 163 average. With Valdez leading the way in game six, he just allowed one run over the six innings. But the Astros won all four of his postseason starts. But Dustin, the one thing you and I talked on the last podcast, the old Buck Showalter, the old check there. I'd have went out there and have TSA fondle him right in front of God and everybody. I was watching and watching, and I still, now I'm thinking, you know what I mean? Like every little thing he does, I'm like, is that something? Is that something? Right. I, I, I would have had him checked. I don't care. It, it's after three innings, I would have had him checked yep. easily. Yep, absolutely. I wish uh, the Phillies manager had listened to the podcast, Crowley. Seriously, he needs to subscribe. <laughs> um, but what about Jeremy Pena? I mean, they let Carlos Correa walk, and this kid, all of a sudden, just the World Series MVP. Okay, he went two for five in game six, 10 for 25, 400 with a home run in the series. He became just the third rookie to be named a World Series MVP. He was also the ALCS MVP versus the Yankees. 
He hit a home run in the 18th inning to advance the Astros past the Mariners in the ALDS. He is the ninth player in history to win the Championship Series MVP and the World Series MVP in the same year. Yeah, he was awfully good and not a, you know, it was easy, I guess, decision for the Astros to let uh, Carlos Correa out of there when you had somebody like this in the wings. Yeah, and they and they and give them credit, give both them credit, give Houston credit for recognizing that and, and give the kid credit. You know, I mean, it's one thing to do it in the minor leagues and it's one thing to do it in the AFL. We've been talking about the AFL, but I mean, this guy did it in the, in the, in the brightest lights on the biggest stage and it never shook him, not for one second. And so Dusty Baker finally gets his World Series the oldest manager at 73 to win a World Series. Do you know who was previously the oldest manager? Yes, unfortunately. Jack McKeenan. Or Jack. Yep. The 2003 Marlins, uh, who outcoached Dusty. And I have been taking abuse. And you know what? I'm good with it. I'm fine. I will not change my stance. I'm sorry. I don't like think Dusty Baker is the awesomest guy in the world. And like I said in the last podcast, I think him leaving Verlander in in game one and him leaving McCullers in in game three was poor managerial decisions, okay? And so his pitchers were able to get him out of that, and, and El Tuve came around, and the defense was great. But no, I'm not going to forget how, how, how when Mark Pryor had a collision with Giles, he let him continue pitching when he had like a separated shoulder or how he had prior pitching 120, 130 innings multiple times in September. Uh, or or do you, does anyone remember 2004? Do you remember how that team fell apart and how they, you had players calling up to the press box to cuss out Steve Stone and Chip Carey or getting right. into fights with those guys on the charter plane, right? And then Dusty couldn't handle a Steve Stone post-game interview. And so Steve Stone loses his job, a Cubs institution, because of Dusty Baker and his inability to control his players. I'm sorry, man. He blasted Cub fans plenty of times. I remember he made a big. He made it seem like we were the reason the Bartman thing happened, and he had nothing to do with that, which was absolutely not true. He's just he's just taking himself out of the equation. He was just as much at fault on that. Um, I don't like him. I'm sorry, and and it just I just didn't. I, I always felt like it was oh us against the world mentality all the time. It just got old. It got stale, and it was never his fault. Uh, yeah, you cannot bat Nafi Perez second for an entire season of a contention window. Uh, how about, it, to me, I remember, too, every time he lost, he had the kid on the lap, and every time he won, the kid wasn't around. I don't know. Right. You know, what, a little, whatever. A little, a little protection, right? Right. Protection. I, I didn't I didn't like him. I'm sorry, you know, and I'm sorry, not sorry. And now I have another reason to get mad, Dustin. Another reason. Yeah, I hear you. The one thing I – and I, I usually don't like to disagree with you, and I don't in the big picture. The one thing where he's going to get credit on a national scale, if you will, is the fact when he took that job, that franchise was in an absolute dumpster fire. The GM was out. The manager was out. Everybody in baseball hated him. Even their own fans weren't real proud to be wearing Astros gear at that time. Now, they still had a really good roster but they were known as cheaters and they got killed deservedly. So on the road, but dusty was able to keep it together, keep everything insular, if you will, and uh, did a really nice job from that standpoint. I don't know how much credit he deserves for winning the world series, but I do think he deserves credit for keeping that organization on the path, considering all the things that were going against him. Not that they weren't earned or deserved, but 
facts are facts. And, and you know what? That us versus the world mentality, he fit in perfectly with that. Yep. So yep. That, that fits in perfect with that. That's his calling card almost, yep. But now, Dusty is back on my my bat, my angry list. <laughs> and he's not going to walk away. He, he's right? bad. He, said, nope. he said, I got one. Now I may as well get two. But not only that, we find we find out that Dusty screwed the Cubs again one more time. Once again, if you believe the uh, Jeff Passan article, right? Yeah, and so according to Jeff Passan, the Cubs had a trade partner with Houston for Contreras. Okay, so the Cubs would acquire right-handed starting pitcher Jose Urquindy, uh, who has three years of team control remaining past 2022. GM likes the deal, but it doesn't come to fruition. Why? Dusty Baker. So apparently Dusty Baker, they had some sort of agreement that he had veto rights and apparently that's what he did. He didn't want Wilson there. He thought that Wilson, you know, because it was his last year, only cared about his numbers and he wanted a team uh, first approach. And that's why they picked up Christian Vasquez from the uh, Red Sox. Yeah, disappointing. So, so supposedly, I don't want to take Dusty off of it altogether. Also, the owner supposedly was against the move. So it was the owner and Dusty that went against the general manager. Right. And so that that is going to be very, very interesting to see how Orkidi uh, ends up working out in the next three years if he's a stud. Oh Dusty, yeah, of course. D- yeah, we're going to keep our. We're going to, now all of a sudden. I'm interested when he starts. Right after the after the rumor. Right. And so this is Dusty Baker's quote. Much as I like Wilson Contreras, Rikidi was one of our best pitchers then. I needed a guy that wasn't going to complain about not playing every day. And this is his free agent year. See, that's tough. When you trade a player for in his free agent year, everyone's about numbers and stuff, and I can't blame them, no doubt. But that's not what we needed. Dude. I added the dude because that's what I figured he said. But, um, <laughs> you know. Now, did he have his, did, when he was quoted, did he have the gloves on and did he have the wristbands on? I think he had the wristbands, and of course he had the toothpick. So yeah, the uh, toothpick, okay. Yeah. You know, it, whatever, man. All I know is if 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 if, if Rikidi becomes just this phenomenal pitcher, and Dusty prohibits me from enjoying another Cubs World Series, I'm just uh, I'm done. <laughs> He's on the list. You're listening to season one, episode number forty-eight. Let the off season begin. This is the Fly the W podcast. I'm Dustin Rhodes. As always, I'm joined by my buddy Crowley. And uh, don't forget to subscribe, download, and review our podcast episode. And to follow on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, Fly the W on Facebook. And Crowley's got a great interview with Stu McVicker, owner and founder of Club 400, whose motto is Cubs fans helping Cub fans, and his journey to raise $1 million for charity out of the world's greatest Cubs cave. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I am honored to have on Stuart McVicker, founder and proprietor of the world's greatest Cubs man cave. Stuart, how are you doing today? I'm happy to be on Fly the W podcast with you, Crowley. Thanks for bringing me on. I appreciate it. Uh, you, you know, I've, I've been dying to have you on, and I figured it would be a good time to have you on because Club 400 is jumping, and, and it literally takes up so much of my social calendar, and I love it, and I wanted to share it out with our listeners right here. So for people who don't know you, Stuart, how did you get into this love of the Cubs that you have, this passion? Well, I tell you what, I, when I was growing up, my parents weren't sports fans in the sports at all. They weren't in any type of sports, none whatsoever. So one time I was actually turning on uh, WGN to what I thought was going to be a Superman show, and it was uh, the Cubs game. The so Cubs were playing that day, and uh, 
I turned it on right at the nick of time because right when I turned it on, there was a line drive down the line, and Harry Carey just went crazy. He went nuts. Line drive down the line. One run is in. Two runs are in. Here's another man coming around third base trying to score. Here's the throw. He is set. I'm like, oh, my gosh. What is this old guy getting all excited about? Now, back then, I didn't even know anything about baseball or how the game worked. But just the fact that, like I always say, his energy and enthusiasm for the game radiated out of out of my TV, right in my soul, and I was hooked. The next thing you know, I said, Ma, I want to I want to play baseball. So she signed me up for the Little League team. Uh, I'm sure my coaches hated it because, like, I was the kid who never put a glove on or even swung a bat. And then I started playing the game, and it, from that point on, it was just my mom. My dad was always working. He's always a hardworking guy. They started their own business right around 1983 before the Cubs hit big. So he was, like, jump. He was working all the time. But my mom, she's the one who took us on the road uh, to see Cubs. I remember our trip. We went to Pittsburgh, and we sat in the lobby. I was, like, maybe a 9-, 10-, 11-year-old kid, and Samuel Sosa's walking by. Ron Sam, I think, I think, I think he was working with the Cubs at some point back then too. And all these guys were just walking by, and I was just, I was hooked, man. I really was. And uh, then we, we we stumbled into a, like an organization that I thought maybe one day I would take over, called the Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch uh, is a group of people um, who actually met met at a bar in Wrigleyville, uh, old Wrigleyville Tap, which is now full shilling, and. Uh, yeah, a group formed out of there, and they they worked out. They did a lot of stuff out of Bernie's called the Wild Bunch, and um, I was part of the Wild Bunch for a while. And we used to go on road trips with them out of state, Cincinnati, a lot of Cincinnati trips, some St. Louis trips, so forth and so on, and got to meet like some really good people. Uh, my mom says she thinks that's the reason why I drink as you know drink beer as much as I do because I hung out with the Wild Bunch. Right, right between the ages of like 16 and 22. So your, your formative partied. years, your formative yeah, my years. Formative years. And these people partied when they went on a road trip, they partied. And uh, we had a great time with those people. went through a couple of different prop, uh, uh, presidents and so forth and so on. And then I met my wife um, at full shilling, believe it or not. And uh, I proposed to her on um, overlooking Riga field at that time, the Tribune owned the Cubs and they didn't allow people to go on the field like they do now. So I had to do it on a rooftop. So I proposed on a rooftop. We had uh, our engagement party in a skybox, and we had a Cubs theme wedding. And yeah, before I told my wife that, uh, before you know, she agreed to marry me, whatever. I told her I was going to build the ultimate Cubs man cave. So this is like something that was always thought about. Like I was going to do it because I'd collected so much stuff, and I wanted to display it. And I really did want to do something special. Like the project took, uh, I actually, me and Lisa got married in 2008. And then I bought the house in 2008. And I had started on the project in 2019. Oh, no, 2000. I started it in 2008 and finished it right around 2013. So, yeah, and so it was a four year long project. Imagine telling all your friends, like you're working on this project in your basement, you wouldn't let anybody see it. So, at that point, it was being built basically just because whenever I go to Wrigley Field, whenever I walk through the turnstiles, uh, you know, it was like one of those things where for three to four hours, my life stopped. And it was four hours of three to four hours, nothing but a good time. Cubs baseball, beautiful Wrigley Field, hopefully a few friends with me, a couple of hot dogs and a pretzel. I mean, that was my happy place, you know. 
And then, uh, so yeah, on uh, my 40th birthday in 2013, we opened up Club 400 to the masses to like maybe 60, 70 friends. And yeah, they were shocked when they saw it. They couldn't believe it. And you know what? I got a kick out of seeing their faces because I had been so close to the project working on it for four years. You know, the special, the specialty part was worn off for me because I looked at it every single day for a long time. But I did know it was going to be something awesome. I did know that it was like something, I, you know, we put a lot of work in it, a lot of thoughts, and that's why it looks the way it does. We had a professional lighting guys uh, design the lighting. Everything looks like it's supposed to be in its place that it was. And if, if you go back to the drawing, which I actually had uh, my wife's brother, Brian, who's an architect, he designed the, the look of the basement. And the look pretty much resembles what we have down here today. Now, let me ask you, do you remember your first piece of memorabilia or something that you just kind of thought like, oh, this is cool. I want to have that. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you or maybe even a player the first time you met that player and then you get that rush a little bit and, and you get that maybe that autograph? You remember anything that sticks out like that? I'll tell you what, my first baseball game I ever went to was Comiskey Park, the old Comiskey Park. My dad took me there with one of his friends and Phil and my mom and it was baseball bat, bat day, so everybody got a real Louisville Sluggers. Now, imagine it happening today. That probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, so everybody that walked in got a Louisville Slugger bat, and that was like my first first game ever, which I don't know. See, that's how much my dad knew. He, didn't, he obviously didn't know that much. He took me to a Sox game for his first. But uh, <laughs> but I do, like, you know, like, you know, you have those stories, Crowley, and you hear a lot of those, these people that have these stories is when they walk up those stairs for the first time, and you see Wrigley Field, and you see it. It's a beautiful – it's a 120 game. The sun's out and the clouds are looking beautiful up there. And it's something that, you know, you don't, it changed my life walking up those stairs. I've heard that from a lot of Cub fans about how walking up those stairs and seeing that field changed their life. And I, and I, I can't necessarily remember it, but I do remember it because I remember how beautiful it looked and how I wanted to be there a whole lot more and watch Cubs baseball, you know? So, but yeah, my first Cubs piece of memorabilia, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, my dad bought me a Cubs hat. I remember that. And, uh, and I, I wore that thing religiously. Like, you know, you'll find a lot of pictures of me when I was younger wearing this Cubs hat. I probably got three years, maybe four years out of it. <laughs> nice. And so, you know, you're sitting there and one day you're hanging out with some friends and you got a buddy who's in need and he's talking to you and you one day just decide to put two and two together, right? Yeah, what happened was, was like when people came down here, like, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do with this place? I'm like, no, it's for us, man. We're going to hang out and watch games. We're going to have fun down here. This is from, you know, at that point in time, I was also thinking, like, you know, it's not good to drink and drive. I might as well make my own bar in my own house, and we'll just have a blast down here. Like, I want to, I basically wanted to build the best sports bar around, have a reason not to go anywhere, but come to my house. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that year, uh, Nick Sheridan came uh, by. He's a good friend of mine, and you, if you've been to any club for our parties, you've probably met him. And uh, so, yeah, he came by, and um, he suffered from bacterial meningitis when he was 20 years old, and he lost both of his legs and an arm. And he came over here to watch a Blackhawk hockey, actually, and the Blackhawks got eliminated in the playoffs there. And then, um, yeah, he, he was bitching about his prosthetics, and I basically woke up the next day, and I was like, wait a minute here. We got my buddy needs new, top, uh, new prosthetics. And let's back up for it. And since I went to the Cubs convention earlier that year, and I put like 20 Polaroid pictures of the basement at the Cubs convention on a Saturday morning, meet the Ricketts. And I put them on his desk. And when he walked away, he put them in his pocket. And I was like, man, I just hooked them. Like, I, I just caught the big fish. 
he's going to see it now. He's going to get it. And sure enough, on the Sunday of the Cubs Grinch, he called me over and he told me he wanted to come over. So after Nick came over that night, I knew I, I realized that he had a need and that maybe with the owner of the Cubs coming out to this basement, we could help him fill it. And that's exactly what we did. I called, uh, I emailed Tom. His email's out there quite a bit. Anybody could get a hold of him. He's awesome. And um, he was all in from the moment. From And, you know, he come out. We had a party. We did not know what we were doing. But we raised like $33,000, got my buddy two legs and an arm, and said, wow, holy cow, that was a lot of fun. Let's do that again next year and help someone else out. So it wasn't like even going into the Nick Sheridan party, which is our first party we've ever had here for charity, the thought was never to move forward. But after that evening, you know, I, I remember going out to lunch with my mom to Randall Roadhouse, one of our great sponsors. And I said, Mom, we might have something here. Like, maybe we should do this, find someone else that needs some help next year, throw another party, try to get a player out. And, and you know, back in the day, me and my brother, Eric, we came out with the We Got Wood t-shirts, which that's a whole other story we need to cover on a podcast. Of course, we have our own Club Horn podcast. I want to do that one day. But we are no strangers from the Wrigley Field community at all. We came out with the We Got Wood shirts in two, uh, 1998. We did, like, three or four shirts that year. And that's a long story, but it put us in jail for a while. <laughs> we got out right away, whatever. But, uh, yeah, we basically, all the money that we made in T-shirts, you know, we had to use for lawyers and stuff. And you know what? I met a person a long time ago who said, you know, whatever you love the most, don't turn it into a business. Just keep it as like what you love the most. So I, I vowed never, ever to do anything Cubs related. Well, this just seemed to be a perfect match for me and how I am as a person. Because even before, like, Club Warner, everybody knows me from Club Warner, but Anybody of my past friends, or uh, I grew up in McHenry, Illinois, I was that guy that, you know, threw the charity event for somebody who maybe passed away or maybe someone got sick or whatever. I was like, uh, I, we, I threw a lot of fundraisers before that, you know, but at bars and restaurants and so forth and so on. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think all good things evolved and Club Hearn evolved in what it is today, which is it's an unbelievable play. I mean, Crowley, obviously you've been here a lot of times, and I always look at Club 400 as a win-win situation for everybody. If you buy a ticket, you're going to have a great time, and the money is going to go in the right place, and you're going to help somebody uh, in need. So that's a great part of it. Well, that's, that's what I tell people is that when I first started going to Club 400, all I cared about was looking at the memorabilia and, uh, uh, you know, meeting the players. And then now, you know, after all these years – I don't even care who's showing up. I just want to come and see my friends and help out good causes because I've seen the beneficiaries of so much of your charitable work. And it, 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 the moment they get that big check and, and you, you change, you know, I've seen a little girl get a wheelchair. Uh, I, I've seen, we've, we've helped, you know, I know you've helped people uh, who, who've been suffering from cancer, uh, a police officer's family who died in the line of duty. When you, when you see the emotions on people's faces, when you're doing something for them, it just kind of changes your approach to things. It, it, it makes you one. It makes you count your blessings, and and two, it makes you realize that you know it, you know we have such a beautiful Cubs community uh, that you know it's just so awesome that everybody kind of just becomes a part of it and they volunteer and they do all sorts of things, and you know that, that you know it's it's just I've seen an evolution of how this has all kind of happened and. Right now, you guys, just, I mean, it had to have been amazing for you at first to, you know, meet all those players you grew up loving, whether it was Sosa or, I mean, Sandberg and Grace and Lee Smith. But now, you know, it's like it's on to bigger and better things. I see like Club 400 evolving and, 
Well, one thing that you guys have been doing lately is something for uh, called Heather's Heroes Program, correct? Yeah, Heather, yeah, um, it's honoring Heather Program. Um, you know, it's, I, I own my own business, heating and air conditioning business called Specialized Testing and Brother with my brother, and that's what pays the bills. But uh, because I have put time into that, I felt like if Club Home was going to grow, you know, we were going to have to. You know, I would have to bring someone in so that because there's so many things that like so many opportunities that I never followed back on because I was too busy in my life with my job and so forth. So, yeah, one day we were down here recording a, a Club Owner podcast, me and William were, and I was just my phone started dinging, dinging, dinging right and left. And it was a fan that was looking help, looking for help to get her friend to one last Cub game. Her name was Heather and uh, she was suffering from uh, liver cancer. And uh, I guess she had tried a, a lot of different charities but uh heather unfortunately due to her age and stuff like that she didn't fit any boxes where any charities were willing to help out and i kind of looked at it and i was like man this is what we are all about getting a cub fans a cub fan to our last game you know and we didn't have a lot of time to work with because you know she, she was already <clears throat> actually uh, in hospice at the time so we literally went to the first game um we could which was a monday and i talked to nicole on a thursday so we uh, by the way uh Kind of the idea was also uh, borrowed from Steve's dream. Steve's dream is someone that sets up over there um, at Sloan Park uh, next to our good friend Sloan over there. And they do the same kind of thing, but more they cater to spring training. So it was always on my mind, like maybe we should try to, you know, give the best day to a fan that maybe thinks that they couldn't go or maybe because they're in a wheelchair, they don't think they can get there okay. And being that, you know, all the connections we made, I'm not just with people outside of Wrigley Field, but on the inside uh, with security people like Frank Walker and stuff like that, it made it way more possible. And I also get on-field access. And uh, being that, you know, we, we had these relationships with the players, we can contact them. So, you know, it you know pretty much came out like when I thought it should come out because we did that program. And then, like, you know, been lucky enough to say that we, not I, we, have given out a lot of checks at Club 400. Uh, I think our highest check we wrote out was for the, the Rizzo Foundation back in the day. But man, you know, we, we put two thousand dollars in that pro that that day, and it was so fulfilling and so rewarding to just you know give a Cub fan one last day at Wrigley Field. I felt like, man, that's something we need to start doing a whole lot more because a lot of people are just afraid because they you know they don't know the area, they don't know where to park. We can open up those doors for them and uh, show them for a really great day. So, yeah, after we did that event, Nicole, which was her friend, reached out to me and uh, wanted to get involved. She's like, whatever, you know, I was trying to find someone to help us. I couldn't get anybody to help us. You, you stepped in. What could I do for your charity? And you know what? She kept on calling me. And, you know, when I saw the same kind of passion in her that I saw in myself. And I was like, hey, do you want like a part-time job? And she's like, sure. So... So I brought her on in late August, and uh, this year we did three Honoring Heathers. We have two videos out for one. The other one uh, we're going to talk about at a later date, but it was happened so quickly, that one too. We couldn't get everything, a camera guy and stuff like that. But it's a, definitely a program that we're going to have going forward, and I think um, our next thing is going to be to bring someone down to the Cubs convention this year who maybe not be able to afford it or someone maybe down in the dumps uh, that we can lift up a little bit, a Cubs fan. or That would be great. That's what we want to do. We want to We want to be like – not just a six-month charity, but a 12-month charity. Absolutely. absolutely, And and so, you know, you, you sit there and, and you give people, it really is the red carpet treatment for a game that people just wouldn't expect. I know Joe from Obvious Shirts, Joe Johnson's been great on helping out with that. 
and uh, you guys get limos and they go down, they get field access through the relations you've made with players as well. I saw Stroman and wisdom and Schwindel coming up to, you know, yeah. and, and, and the, and when you see the videos, you know, the, the emotions, especially of the people that, you know, especially like the, I remember with Herbie's family and a couple other, uh, the families, like they're just so thankful and it, it, it's so emotional. Um, but you are doing more events to kind of continue to build up that, that honoring Heather foundation and part yeah. of the charitable arm. And uh, you got one coming up pretty soon. Uh, a little bit of a uh, music trivia I hear. Oh man. You know, I'm so excited about it. It's outside of club for heart, which is great. It's going to be at the, that, that way. Means I don't have to clean up the next day. <laughs> um, but it's going to be at the holiday Inn in crystal Lake. And um, last year in September, what was that? 2021 Ryan Dempster came out for a little boy named Riker, who uh, I gave uh, him and his family a private tour to of club for hundred during uh, COVID. And I knew something was wrong with them. And I didn't want to ask because we were having such a good time, but I followed up with Eddie. And then, so we threw an event out for his son, Riker. We raised $40,000 that day. And um, yeah, he was so appreciative. He threw us an event in his hometown called was Music Trivia. And I didn't know what it was, but we all drove down there. We had a big crew of Club 100 people go down there and we just had a blast. And I'm like, man, we need to do this again. Maybe we'll do it up by us. So yeah, we're having a great event on Saturday, November 19th at the Holiday Inn in Crystal Lake Music Trivia. We are selling tables for 175. That means if you bring seven of your friends, your seat is free. Uh, we just got Joe Kilgallen hooked up to it. Uh, we're going to do karaoke at the end, and uh, we're going to sell pizza slices, hot dogs, popcorn. We're going to have Salsa King of Chicago Salsa there. And all proceeds are going to go to Club 400. Now, here's the thing, like uh, – Whenever we had parties, like, you know, we've, we're up to $730,000. But whenever we had parties, like, we would never take any money from the parties. We gave, we, we kept just enough in our bank account so we didn't have to pay the fees, right? right. So, but there's plenty of times when opportunities arose for me to do something for somebody and we didn't have any money. So you can't be a real charity if you don't have any money. <laughs> and you got to be able to move quickly. So, yeah, I mean, and also, yeah, I, I hired a Debbie to run our book. She's part-time, too. But, yeah, we're, we're you know, we're, we're growing. And, you know, that's the thing. Either grow or die. And I want to grow. And you know what? I want to help as many people as possible. And if you don't grow, then you're, only, you're not going to be able to help out as many people. So Right. And with that, with that, with Heather, with her situation, you basically paid for it out of pocket and everybody chipped in later. And you don't want to do that. Right. Like you said, it's good to have cash reserves in those kind of emergency-type situations. Yeah, and like honestly, like I, I, we're taking <laughs> Heather to the game, right? And I don't like to ask for things. It's one o'clock day of game, and we have no game tickets, you know. But I wanted to get Heather. I mean, uh, yeah, Heather was losing her eyesight, and we had to get her up real close. So we, I stubbed hugged them at two o'clock. I basically got in my car after I bought them. They luckily they fell right to that place where we were looking for. I mean, it was I think a gift from above but um but now yeah thanks for the cup the cubs hooked us up a lot this year we have a lot of great sponsors we've been able to take a lot of our people our guests over to the 1914 club as you know which is an awesome experience and like a one-of-a-kind experience which we got to get you out to Crowley. you haven't been there yet not yet but on the 19th you guys have music trivia and then you know my favorite it is the december it's going to be friday december 2nd the club 400 christmas party which is always one of the best 
uh, events of the year. I love it. It's one of my favorites. You going going to the minor leagues now. We're going to start taking a look at some of these young future prospects, and they're going to be coming out to Club 400. You got the number one, number two prospect between number one, number two prospect coming out. You know what? It was unbelievable. Like Brendan Davis, I, I I hooked up through him through Twitter. He was the first guy I asked if he'd want to come out. And um, you know, I remember when I had to beg to get players to come here. Like they, you know, hey man, you want to come to my basement? And now you know. Same thing with Christopher Morale in September. Like, his agent called me up. They, he wants to come to Club Farm. He wants to be a part of it. So, Brennan was all in from the beginning. And as you know, Crowley, this party's going to have a little bit of South Bend tilt to it. So, we got a lot of surprises, some that we can't talk about. But I know this. It's going to be a great party. Um, we got a, a full band playing that night. And we have a lot of like, – that's always a special night. And it's going to be a great one this year. Like, they always are. I don't know why. But you're right. The Christmas party, I don't know if it's that time of the year, but it's always a special party. It's always good to get around the Club 400 family. So we'll be selling those tickets very soon on www.club400cubs.com. But you can follow us on all social media where the link will be posted. And I actually was supposed to write out the details today. And then one of my guys' truck broke down on 294, which threw me off for the most part. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna, we're, gonna, we're expecting to sell tickets this Friday to our Christmas uh, event on December 2nd. That is a Friday night, and we're going to go from like 6 to 11 o'clock. And you got a band, and 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 I know that I talked to uh, Max and BK, the announcers for South Bend. They're showing up. Chris Hagstrom, GM for the South Bend Cubs of Promotions, is coming down there. And so it, it is going to have a South Bend tilt, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And those guys treated us so well when we went out to South Bend. I, I like that we were able to kind of do something a little bit in return. Then right. we got CubsCon coming up. You talked about, you know, bringing people out there. And then after that, you have uh, some more exciting news for January. Yeah, I asked you before we got in this interview if I could talk to you about it real quick. But um, back in, I think it was 2018, I went to Cubs Fantasy Camp, Randy Hunley Fantasy Camp. It was a lifelong dream of mine, something I always wanted to do. Me and my brother went and... I wish I could say I had an unbelievable time, um, but I went there and I was severely out of shape and I could barely walk by Wednesday. <laughs> and uh, but it was awesome. I mean, it was a dream come true. Um, and you know what? I mean, all these guys are diehard Cub fans. I'm like, these guys would fit great in the Club 400. And then I did not go to camp the next year because I wasn't in shape enough. And then I got an email saying the last Cup Fantasy Cub camp would be coming up in 2020. We went down there and we had another remarkable great time. And then COVID hit. And uh, Randy hasn't done his camp since. Um, and let me tell you something. Randy Hunley is the innovator, the founder of all fancy camps. And, you know, what I've told, told him through the grapevine is we're just filling the void until you want to come back. If you want to come back next year, that's all good. But, yeah, we're actually going to Las Vegas on, uh, was it January 19th through the 25th? And we got right now we got three teams going down there, and we're playing six games of baseball. We're gonna go golfing on Saturday. We got a great resort we're staying at. And we're looking for a few more players. That's why I wanted to tell everybody about it. But we just got our coaches announced, so we're gonna have a couple of, uh, Hall of Famers. Fergie Jenkins gonna be part of camp. Lee Smith's gonna be part of camp. One of my favorite guys, Ray, uh, Ray Burst, who is also an ambassador of the club, will be there. And he everybody knows that Ray knows that he's an outstanding guy. Bob Dernier will be there. Uh, if you remember the old uh, GM, Ed Lynch, he'll be there. 
and uh, our good friend John Maley with us, so our our players can get uh, bang tips from him. You know, so it's gonna be a great it's gonna be a great event. Like I said, we're we're filling the void, and you know what? Uh, uh, no one's making any money here. Uh, we're looking to do like maybe ten, fifteen thousand dollars for Club Four Hundred, and uh, so it's Cup fans helping Cup fans. But now we're actually playing. We're trying to play the game of baseball. I will say that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a great event, and, and all those guys are guys that are Club Four Hundred alum that you mentioned, Ray, yeah. Lee, Fergie. They've all been there. They all know what it's about, and so I think it's going to be a special event. And so, um, Stuart, tell everybody where they can find you on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, anything, and, and the Club 400 podcast, don't forget. But where would yeah. people find out more information about all these events coming up? I mean, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. Those are our three primarily hitters. Uh, we also have a website, which is uh, going to be, uh, it's actually been working out for the last year. So if any event that you came to, we're gonna, you're going to download your pictures for free. I know those are kind of hard to find now. They're all going to be on the new website. Um, it's just going to be better laid out like everything else. When we created that website, it was 2014 or 15. So this is we're doing a new look to it. And uh, But our website is always going to tell you what's going on and what we're doing. But, yeah, social media, Twitter, Facebook, and just go Club 400 Cubs, and you'll find us. I promise you that. And, you know, we're looking to find new people to get involved with Club 400 because, like I said, you know, we're looking to grow and become a better organization and an organization that makes more impact 12 months out of the year. And, again, you want to jump on it because that party, once you hit a million dollars, you're at 700000 you're not going to want oh. to miss that party, and that's going to be for, for the people that have been living, breathing, and dying Club 400. So get on oh. the bus now, man, because you don't want to miss that one. No, the $1 million party is something that, you know, so, yeah, the goal of Club 400 was always to raise $1 million. And how did I come up with that? I sat down here after we did a, a couple first couple charity events. I was like, all right, what do we really want to do with this place? And I, if I was smart, I would have said, well, let's raise $400,000. <laughs> but, you know, that seemed to be too easy after what we did for Nick. So I said, let's raise $1 million out of a basement and let's just, you know, do it. And uh, so it's been a lot. I'll tell you what, it's been a long road, but it's been an awesome road. I wouldn't change a thing. And uh, we've had so many good times and we've met so many good people. My social network has opened up like you wouldn't believe. And I'm a people person anyway, so I just love meeting new people. And I love meeting them here at Club 400 where they're going to get probably one of the best fan experiences around. Like that's the thing that's underrated and not talked about Club 400. Yeah, we do great charity work. But if you're a fan and you've never been to a Club 400 event with a player here, then you're missing out because you're basically – he's coming to my house. He's hanging with you in my personal bar. And that's a great thing. A lot of these players become friends of ours moving forward. And if they, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them get what's going on here. And then some of them, you know, some of the guys around the current roster are so busy just trying to make it and stuff like that. But I'll tell you what, man, it's been, it's been unbelievable. And like I said, the only good things ahead, and I'm starting to think about that million dollar party because that's not a party. That's, that's going to be the biggest party we ever throw. And we're going to bring out some major acts for that. And I want to give back to my neighborhood for putting up with me, to be honest with you, Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stuart, it, it was a pleasure having you on. And this is not going to be the last time by far that you're on the podcast. So you know that. But um, we will put links to uh, all the different socials uh, for Club 400 in, in case any of the listeners want to find out. We'll put that on the Fly the W and Crawley's Clubhouse uh, Facebook and Twitter pages. And like I said, you know, I 100% I, I, I believe in the mission of Club 400. Stuart, I thank you for everything you've done for all the Cub fans. And like I said, you, you've created a family. And, and, you know, that sometimes that's hard to come by. So thank you again, Stuart, for coming thank out. You. Stuart McVicker and... Tons of events, guys. Get on the bus. 
like we said, the Cubs season don't stop. Which hopefully it'll stop in November, but <laughs> this year it stopped in September. Crowley, Crowley was over. We had a private party for Ray Burris here, and uh, we don't stop here at Club 400. So come on out and see us. We'd love to have you. And thanks, Crowley, for having me on. Anytime, buddy. You take care. Take care. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's episode number 48. This is season one, and Crowley let the off season begin. The World Series wrapped up Saturday night down in Houston. Astros eliminating the Phillies, and that means that the baseball is open for business, if you will. We've got some dates and uh, times even and names of uh, fans all across baseball, Cubs fans in particular, are going to keep their ears and eyes on in the upcoming days. Dustin, here's what I'm going to tell you right now, man. With this offseason right now, we have the offseason calendar right here. There is no offseason for the Fly the W podcast, Mike. That's we, right. we, there is too much going on, and I have a feeling this is going to be one of the most important offseasons in a very, very long time. So we have a couple things you want to take a look at date by circle it in the calendar and stuff that we're going to talk about on the podcast. Thursday, November 10th is the te- is the deadline for teams to make qualifying offers to their free agents. According to John Morosi, players will have until Tuesday, November 15th at 3 p.m. Central to reject the one-year $19.65 million qualifying offer. So Wilson and Wade Miley have five days to decide to accept or decline the qualifying offer for the Cubs. So the Cubs have to make an offer, which we already know they're going to do with Wilson, on thir- by Thursday, November 10th. And then Wilson has, and Wade Miley has until Tuesday, November 15th to decide to accept or reject. If they reject the qualifying offer, then they are absolute free agents and, and, and uh, they have opened up shop. And some notable names, we mentioned Contreras and Miley, Jose Abreu and Johnny Cueto from the White Sox. Jose Urania is a, a guy that kind of I just put on here just because we talk, we're going to have to talk about pitching, but he may be just somebody that interests me. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, Trey Turner, Craig Kimber, Brandon Nimmo, Aaron Judge, Aroldis Chapman, David Robertson, Noah Syndergaard, our old friend Jose Quintana, Josh Bell, Mike Clevenger, Jock Peterson, and then the rest of that shortstop class along with Trey Turner, uh, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, and Xander Bogarts, Swanson, Correa, and Bogarts elected free agency today. So I threw in some names from the past, and I threw in some names of interest there. Um, but but there there's free agents out there. Would you be interested in a in a one or two year deal for Noah Syndergaard? I don't think so. No, I wouldn't. Um, I, I I think the velocity is just not there anymore. I think he's at best a middle reliever. Okay. Uh, I don't. I, I think the Cubs have better options that are going to be cheaper. So, um, you know, we all remember those Thor days in Shea Stadium. Yeah, he's where available. He was, you don't, yeah. This is not a qualifying offer. You don't have to sign him in 19.65. He's, no. he's out there and available now. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, be interested in him, no. All right, so uh, then on the 18th, Crowley, we've got the uh, tender deadline. So I bring this up because this is the one that, that, that burns Dustin's hide to this day. Okay, so teams will have to decide which players they want to tender contracts to for 2023. This applies to any players who are under team control but not yet signed to a contract, okay? So when you have this arbitration, right, and and you have arbitration players, that refers to people that have three or more years of major league service but less than six years of major league service 
to become eligible for sal salary arbitration if you haven't agreed for a contract the next season. That was the big deal, if you remember, with uh, Chris Bryant. And now they've, they've gotten rid of that rule where they called him up late and, and, and got the extra year of control. So you have these guys for six years of control, right? And once you get to that six years, that's free agency. But between years three and six, you can decide whether you want to tender the contract. You know roughly what the money's going to be, and you have to decide whether or not to offer those players the contract. And that, Dustin, is how Kyle Schwarber left the Cubs. The Cubs non-tendered him. So they did not offer him a contract. And when you're not offered a contract, now you become a free agent. Yeah. And he was like, it was like eight or nine million dollars. It was, yeah, it was, it was something small, eight or nine million. In, in baseball but terms, yeah. That, that's so that, that tender deadline, that was the shocking tender deadline in 2021 was Kyle Schwarber. Right. And so, so there are guys that, there are there guys that Cub fans have to worry about coming up? Well, yes. You have Ian Happ is coming up. So this is his final arbitration year. He'll be a free agent next season. So uh, he'll be roughly about $10.6 million. Uh, Steven Brault, he's a relief pitcher. He's arbitration two. He's up 1.7. Fran Mil Reyes, 6 million. He's in year two. Uh, Rowan Mick, Rowan Wick is 1.5 million. Alec Mills, Brad Wick, Nico Horner, Cody Hewer, Madrigal, and Ortega. What's your, uh, looking into your uh, Cubs crystal ball, Crowley, what do you, what do you see the future for Nick Madrigal? I mean, it's it's he's he's in his first year of arbitration, and so it's going to be cheap. It's one point one million dollars. I, I I say they probably keep him around. I can't see them non tendering him, um, but I really don't know if there's much of a future for him on this team. We'll see. I mean, it, it is clear that Ian Happ is going to get you know tendered a contract, and it's it and Nico Horner hundred percent and Cody Hewer hundred percent. And I think Magical's is pretty close to 100%. All the other guys, your your uh, Brault, Reyes, Wick, Mills, Week, Brad Week, if you remember him, uh, Ortega, those are all guys that the Cubs are in a, a interesting situation this year where, and this is going to get to our next um, calendar date where you you have a 40 man roster, right? And you you can only and once somebody's on the forty man roster, they're protected. Teams can't grab them. But you know you're going to have to make decisions because of the amount of players that they have and the amount of young studs that the Cubs have that they're going to want to protect. That they're not want, going to want other teams to poach. So this, this is going to be like I said, a very very difficult um, some situ some difficult decisions by Jed Hoyer that are going to have to be made in Carter Hawkins' relatively short time here. Yeah. And then Crowley, one of your favorite guys, Matt Mervis, right? Unbelievable what he ended up doing. Yeah, Mervis, Mervis, great, but we got one more deadline to look at. And oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No worries. I got excited about Matt Mervis because I'm, I'm. The more you've <laughs> talked about him, the more interested I've gotten about him, and now I'm getting excited that we might actually see him competing for a big league spot. So I got, it's, I got ahead of myself. Sorry. It's getting exciting, but we do have the deadline for replacing Rule Five eligible prospects on the 40-man roster. Protect them from the Rule Five draft. That's going to be on November 15th, the same day as the qualifying offer has to be accepted or rejected. We talked about Wilson and Wade. So the Rule 5 draft is a major league draft that happens in December at the GM meetings, right? It's going to be, I think, the first week of December. And so the point is, is that you're not just stockpiling all this talent and not playing them, right? Like imagine the Dodgers, okay? 
you can't just keep keep guys down there forever. So what ends up happening is that they have to be eventually after a couple of years, they have to be put on the rule five. Uh, they have to be put on the 40 man roster. Otherwise they're eligible for the rule five draft. Okay. So with the rule five draft, you can pick up, you can take another player from a different team, but you have to put them on your 40 man roster for the entire season. You can't option or put them in the minors. You can't be like, oh, he's a young guy, put him in the minors. They have to be on the big league club. So you only have 26 spots. So taking up a spot all year and not having the option to move them is very risky. Okay. At the same time, there, there's, like I said, when you have a good farm system like the Cubs, that's an opportunity for a team that may be not really deep and not have a lot of talent to pick somebody off and, and get a real bargain, right? Um, I don't know if everyone remembers Hector Rondon from the Cubs run in 2015, 2016. He was a Rule 5 pick draft that paid off really well for the Cubs. So, you know, you have to keep them all year, and if not, then they have to clear waivers and they go back to their original team. So there may be some prospects as, as the Cubs, we, we've gone over a lot over the prospect list and, and, and kind of the top 30 prospects and guys have started to get bumped further back. And the further you are from that top 10, top 15 spot, well, then th there may be a chance that another team might be eyeballing you and trying to pick you in this rule five draft. So if you're the Cubs, you have to kind of take a gamble. Who do you think may be taken by another team? Who do you want to protect that you think is sure fire? So those three dates that we just talked about right there are going to be, are going to have immense repercussions for the Cubs. So you got the 10th, which is the qualifying offers. We know they're going to happen. The 15th is when they got to decide on it. Uh, the 15th is also the rule five, uh, when you have to have all the rule five players put on the 40 man roster that you want. And then the 18th is the non-tender deadline. So three big dates. More, I got I got one more date for you, Crowley, that I just saw recently. In the What's last that? Couple hours. The MLB announced its inaugural draft lottery will be December 6th on MLB Network at 730. And the Cubs have a 1.1% chance to land the number one pick in the 2023 amateur draft. So you're telling me there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> and that, that has to be right around the winter meetings as well. So I right would all imagine, I would imagine so. So pretty so, pretty interesting there. We we got we got a lot of weeks of exciting things happening. That's why I'm telling people you don't 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 disappear on here because uh you know there there's just going to be a lot. It's I know, you know, football, but if you're into Cubs baseball and especially you know, I can tell you the last last year there was no off season and it was boring to kind of talk about the Cubs. I mean, how many times could you revisit 2021? This time we have between free agency and, and all these important dates that are coming up with the rule five pick and then the and and all this stuff. It, it's going to be exciting. And you were you got so excited. You wanted to talk about Matt Mervis. Matt Mervis. Matt um, Mervis. We, they just recently had the Arizona Fall League had their version of the fall. They call it the fall star game. Right. And so that's where the best of the best of the Arizona Fall League. Remember, these are the top prospects throughout baseball. And um, Matt Mervis was, was selected, and he was um, also invited to the All-Star Game, uh, to the Home Run Derby. I apologize. And so if you looked here, uh, the Home Run Derby, you know, you, you go head-to-head -head and you go three rounds. And the winner was Seattle prospect Roberto Perez, who finished with 32 homers, through the three rounds, all three rounds, right? Uh, Orioles prospect Heston Cajard finished second with 32 homers through three rounds. So Perez beat him in the head-to-head -head matchup. But if you added up all their homers through three rounds, they both had 32. Matt Mervis finished third 
with 19 home runs. So a very good showing. And Matt Mervis was absolutely rocking some of those balls. So it was fun to watch. And like I said, I mean, how can you not get hyped about this kid? And then on Sunday, he hits an opposite field to run Homer and was named the Arizona fall league MVP. So, uh, you know, this kid is just, I guess Keith law doesn't see much in him, but all I see is this guy keep producing. Yeah, I, I, he's somebody that we definitely need to uh, to keep our eyes on, our ears on through this podcast. I'm very excited and very intrigued by Matt Mervis, and I, I thank you for really uh, putting more eyes and ears on this young guy. You know, and, and that's what we wanted to do with this podcast. Obviously, there's the big team, but but there's a lot of excitement going on with these minor league players, and, and there's and there's more to come, and... And that's what I would tell people is that we will be covering all this stuff on the podcast and just don't, you know, just always, like I said, that's why it's really important that everyone just listens, subscribes, downloads. And when you subscribe, that way you're on everything and you don't miss a show because a lot of things are going to be happening this off season. If you're a Cub fan, this is one you really want to tune into. Yep. As they like to say, miss a little, miss a lot. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Season one, episode 48, let the off season begin is in the books and let the off season begin, my friend. Yes, sir. And if you don't want to miss anything in the off season, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, fly the W six seventy or on Facebook at fly the W. And you can also email us with your comments and suggestions at fly the W six seventy at gmail.com.